Well, it is uh, a joy to be with you today. Uh, what greater joy than to be worshipping the Lord with like-minded believers on the Lord's day. And, and talking of joy, that's the main theme of this morning's message. But not so much our joy as God's joy, the Lord's joy. Do you ever think about that? About the Lord's joy? Does God himself experience joy? We've read this passage of the Bible in Luke chapter 15. What's it all about? Well, I think it's about the Lord's joy. His joy in the salvation of spiritually lost people like us. There are three stories here. Three stories that Jesus told. A story about a lost sheep, verses 1 to 7. Then a story about a lost coin, verses 8 to 10. And then the one we didn't read, a story about a lost son in verses 11 to the end of the chapter. But why did Jesus tell those three stories? He was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, He was going there to die, to die on a cross, to save sinners like us. And as he made his way to Jerusalem, he met people and talked to them and even ate with people. Do you know how many times we find Jesus eating with people here in this gospel, according to Luke? Well, at least eight or nine times. Look how this chapter, chapter 15, begins, verses 1 and 2. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So who was Jesus eating with on this particular occasion? Well, we're told that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And, well, we know who the tax collectors were, don't we? They were Jews who were working for Rome, for the Roman Empire, that ruled in Palestine at that time, and they were helping to collect their taxes for them. So not very popular people in Israel to be collaborating with the Romans. And sinners probably refers to people living openly immoral lives, like prostitutes and others. And they were the people, they were the two particular groups of people that Jesus was uh, talking with and eating with on this particular occasion. He was welcoming them, wasn't he? And talking to them and eating with them. But there were others there on that occasion who were observing Jesus and criticizing him for what he was doing. Who were they? Well, they were, no surprise there, the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees, as I'm sure you know, uh, they were a group within Judaism going back a couple of hundred years before Christ. uh, And their main concern was for purity, both purity of doctrine or teaching and also purity of life. Uh, And of course, that was good. Their intentions were good. But sadly, they were not able to live up to their own standards. And the scribes were men who uh, spent their time studying uh, God's word, uh, especially the law of Moses, uh, and interpreting it and teaching it to other people. And these were the two groups uh, within Judaism who, as they observed Jesus eating with those tax collectors and sinners, were critical in their attitude towards what Jesus was doing. 
Why? Because in their opinion, Jesus shouldn't have been rubbing shoulders with people like that, tax collectors and sinners. So what did Jesus do? Well, he told these three stories to explain why he was talking with tax collectors and sinners and even eating with them. So let's look at the three stories and let's think about them. The three stories here are all different, but at the same time, they are quite similar. They all have the same four main parts or elements. And that's what we're going to look at now. So firstly, in all three stories, there is a losing, a losing. In the first story, a farmer, let's call him, loses one of his sheep. Verse 4, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one of them? You see, the farmer loses one of his hundred sheep. Then in the second story, a woman this time loses one of her silver coins. Verse 8, or what woman said Jesus, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin. And then in the third story, a father loses one of his two sons, verses 11 to 13. He said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So in a sense, that father had lost one of his two sons, his younger son. So what was Jesus saying as he told these three stories? Well, he was saying to those religious leaders who were criticizing him, do you want to know why I'm with these people that you despise so much? Well, I'm with them because they need me. Because they are lost people, spiritually lost people. That's why I'm talking to them. That's why I'm eating with them. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes were also spiritually lost, weren't they? The problem was that they didn't realize, they didn't accept the fact that they also needed Jesus, just like those tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees and scribes would never have accepted anyone saying to them, you also are sinners who need the Savior. But what about us? Well, according to the Bible, we were all born just as spiritually lost as those tax collectors and sinners and just as spiritually lost as those Pharisees and scribes. According to the Bible, we've all been sinners, not only since we were born, even since we were conceived in our mother's wounds. One of the biblical writers, David, king of Israel, wrote, I was brought forth in iniquity, and listen to this, and in sin my mother conceived me. In sin, wrote David, my mother conceived me. And we have reasons to believe that that wasn't just true of him, of David. It's true of all of us human beings. We've never needed anyone to teach us how to sin, have we? If we wanted to learn another language or some other skill that we didn't have, we might go to classes. I don't know about you, but I've never needed to go to sin classes. 
because sin comes naturally to me because I am a sinner. I've got that tendency, that inclination, sadly, towards sin. That's why those of us who have been parents, we have our work cut out to teach our children uh, not to do bad things, but to do good things. But we don't need to teach them to do bad things. They somehow seem to know that okay. And we sin in thought, word, and deed. You know, we sometimes think of sin as being the particularly serious sins. And then because we, we maybe don't think we've done any of that, we feel good about ourselves. But the Bible teaches us that we can sin in thought and in word and in deed, not just with what we do with our hands or the places we go with our feet, but we sin with the very thoughts of our minds and the desires of our hearts, the sin there too. And it's those sins that often lead to the outward sins. And we sin in what we do, but also in what we don't do that we should do. Again, sometimes we can be content to think, well, I don't do any harm to anybody. Is that good enough? Is that good enough for God? Not to do any, even if it were true, not to do harm to people. Do we actually do good to anybody? Because there are sins of omission, aren't there? And not just sins of commission. There are good things that we could and should do, but we don't, whether towards God or towards other people. And that also is sin. So our default position before God is that we are lost. We are spiritually lost. And this is important because if we don't see ourselves as being spiritually lost. We won't see any need for Jesus to find us and save us. That's why this is important. If we don't see ourselves as being spiritually lost, we'll be just like those Pharisees and scribes who thought they were okay with God, and they weren't. Our only hope of being saved or or rescued is in accepting the fact that we are spiritually lost And that we need to be saved by someone. So that's the first thing that we see here in this chapter. In all three stories that Jesus told, there is a losing. But then secondly, in all three stories, there is also a searching. There is a searching going on. In the first story, that farmer who lost one of his 100 sheep went off in search of the one sheep that had gone astray. Verse 4, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost? That's what the farmer does in this story of the lost sheep. He goes after the sheep that has wandered off and got lost. In the second story, the woman searches for the silver coin that she's lost. Verse 8 again, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. She doesn't just shrug her shoulders. Oh, well, I've still got nine silver coins left. Who cares about the other one? No, she searches for the silver coin that she's lost. And then in the third story, The father also searches for his lost younger son. 
Or does he? Doesn't he just sit at home and wait until his son realizes the mistake he's made and comes home? Is that what the father does? Just sit and wait, moaning every day about what his son has done? Just think about that boy of mine, how he's gone off and spent all that money and wasted it all, and who knows what's become of him. Is that what the father does? Look at verse 20. And he arose, that's the younger son, and came to his father. But listen to this. But when he was still a great way off, when the son, yes, he was on his way home, but when he was still a great way off, what happened? His father saw him. How is that possible? How could his father see him when he was still a great way off? What does a great way off mean? I mean, a mile maybe? 10 miles, 20 miles? What does a great way off mean? Remember, in this story, the son went so far from home that he ended up in a far country. He crossed the border of his own country and he'd entered another country altogether. That's how far away he'd got from home, in a far country. Okay, he was on his way home. He was on his way home, but he was still a great way off. Do you think if he'd even been, imagine looking a mile into this, I mean, you might be at the top of a hill and be able to see that there are people on the other side of the valley. But would you be capable of identifying somebody even a mile away, never mind 10 or 20 miles? So how come this man was able to see his son who was still a long way from home? Did he have some... Really powerful binoculars? Obviously not. Or Superman's x-ray vision? No. The father had set off in search of his son. The father had packed his rucksack and set off, I'm going to look for him. And he was going towards the son, looking for him everywhere he went. And as the son was coming back home, back towards him, and that's when the father saw him, when he was searching for his son. That was how he saw him and had compassion on him. Later in this gospel, according to Luke, we read these amazing words about the Lord Jesus. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, meaning people like us, sinners. And that's what Jesus was doing on that occasion. He was seeking that which was lost. Those tax collectors and sinners were lost people that he was seeking in order to save them. And Jesus is still doing that today. He's still seeking and saving spiritually lost people like us, like you and me. And that's why there's hope for us. Because Jesus is still searching for lost people like that father searching for his lost son. So in all three stories, there is a losing. In all three stories, there's a searching. Thirdly, in all three stories, there is a finding. There's a finding. In the first story, the farmer finds his lost sheep, verses 4 and 5. It says, and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, 
When he has found it, he has found it. In the second story, the woman also finds her lost coin, verses 8 and 9. What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, see, she finds her lost silver coin. And in the third story, as we've seen, the father also finds his lost younger son in verse 20 again. And he arose and came to his father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He found his lost son. And in a sense, Jesus had found, hadn't he, those people with whom he was talking and eating on that occasion, those tax collectors and sinners so despised by the Pharisees and scribes. We don't know if any of them repented of their sins uh, or put their trust in Jesus as their saviour. We don't know any of those details, but at least they were in the best place they could be. They were with Jesus. They were with the saviour, the one person in the world that could help them and meet their need and save them. They were with him, listening to him. There's no better place to be than there, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. He's the saviour. What about us? We've already been reminded that all of us are by nature spiritually lost. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. There's someone searching for us. And that someone is Jesus the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. He is searching right now for sinners like us. That's the hope of the gospel, isn't it? The hope of the Christian message. He came into our world and became a real human being in order to search for lost people like us, in order to save sinners like us. Let me ask you, Has Jesus found you or are you still lost? Have you heard the Christian message? Have you understood it? Have you believed it? Have you repented sincerely of your sins? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation and of heaven? So in all three of these stories, we've seen there is a losing In all three stories, there is a searching. And in all three, there is a finding. But fourthly and finally, in all three of these stories, there is a rejoicing. There is a rejoicing. There is joy. There is celebration in all four of these, in all three of these stories. In the first story, the farmer rejoices when he finds his lost sheep, doesn't he? Verses five and six again. When he has found it, the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. See, they're celebrating together that he's found the sheep that wandered off and got lost. And then in the second story, the woman rejoices when she finds her lost silver coin, verse 9. When she has found it, we read, she calls her friends and neighbours together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. 
And in the third story, the father rejoices, doesn't he, when he finds his lost son, verses 22 to 24. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And verse 32, he says to his older son, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And Jesus tells us what the rejoicing of the farmer and the rejoicing of the woman point to. Verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And again in verse 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The joy of the farmer when he finds his lost sheep and the joy of the woman when she finds her lost coin represents the joy in heaven, the joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But whose joy is Jesus talking about here? I don't think he's referring first and foremost to the joy of the angels, which is the way we've often read these words. Joy in the presence of the angels of God. Oh, that must be the joy of the angels. They're celebrating that another sinner has repented. I don't think it refers to that first and foremost. I believe that Jesus is talking about the joy of God himself. The joy of God himself in the presence of the angels, of his angels in heaven. The farmer and the woman and the father, in their rejoicing, reflect the joy that God himself experiences every time a sinner truly repents. The farmer invites his friends and neighbours, doesn't he, to rejoice with him. The woman invites her friends and neighbours to rejoice with her. And the father tells his servants to celebrate the return of his son. And all of them represent God himself, not the angels, God himself, telling his angels to rejoice with him every time a sinner truly repents and that was why Jesus told these three stories the religious leaders couldn't understand how Jesus could welcome and talk to tax collectors and sinners and even eat with them they couldn't understand it but Jesus was never happier than at that moment because he had come from heaven to seek and save that which was 
lost. Let me ask you three simple questions. Have you given God joy? Have you sincerely repented of your sins? Secondly, do you rejoice with God? Does it thrill your heart to see people or to hear of people turning from their sins to Jesus the Saviour? And thirdly, would you like to give God more joy? Maybe you're thinking, how can I do that? How could I give God more joy? Isn't there a sense in which we can give God more joy by going after lost sheep, lost sinners, reaching out with the great news of the gospel to people who desperately need to hear that good news? And as we reach out to people with the gospel, if any of those people understand the message and and repent and believe, then God will be rejoicing before his holy angels in heaven. So as we draw to a close, we've seen four things, haven't we, in these three stories. We've seen a losing, we've seen a searching, we've seen a finding, and we've seen a rejoicing. And those four things summarize the main message of the whole Bible, the main message of Christianity. According to the Bible, firstly, we're all conceived and born spiritually lost. Secondly, according to the Bible, God the Father sent his son into the world to search for and to save spiritually lost people like us. Thirdly, according to the Bible, our hope as fallen, sinful, spiritually lost people is not that we somehow find ourselves, as people tell us today, or even that we find God. No, that's not our hope. Our hope is that Jesus, the one who came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost, would find us. That's our hope. Not that we find him, that he find us. And then fourthly, according to the Bible, when Jesus finds lost people like us, what does he do? He rejoices and the father rejoices. And like the farmer and the woman and the father in these three stories, the father and the son invite the angels in heaven to rejoice with them. And that is why there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If you're a Christian, a real Christian, when you repented of your sins, when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus as your saviour, there was joy in heaven that day. And if you're not yet a Christian, If you repent of your sins and if you trust Jesus to save you, there will be joy in heaven that day. That's what true Christianity is all about. It's all about God searching for spiritually lost people 
and rescuing them and then celebrating their homecoming. And that's why there's hope for us, hope for the world, hope for Europe, hope for this country and hope for you and me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news, the great news that it gives us of hope, hope of salvation for people like us. We know we don't deserve it. Yes, we were conceived and born as sinners. We've lived and are living as sinners. And yet you're saying to us that there is hope for people like us. Thanks to your amazing grace and love and mercy and kindness in the gospel of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, help us, Lord, today. Help us to understand this wonderful message of salvation. How we thank you that you are a God who rejoices every time a sinful human being repents of their sins and turns to Christ for salvation. And you on your throne in heaven rejoice and you call upon your holy angels to rejoice with you. Oh, how we thank you for that. That you not only save us, you also rejoice in saving us. Lord, may these truths inspire us afresh. May these truths encourage us. May they encourage us to pray for people and reach out with the gospel to people. We're scared. We're discouraged so easily. And yet your word gives us hope, not only for ourselves, hope for others too. So, Lord, hear and answer our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Going to sing as our closing hymn, number 670 in the hymn book, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, how he left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray, threw his loving arms around me, drew me back into his way. Let's stand and sing together this closing hymn.